What's going on, everybody? We are back, back on the airwaves. Technical difficulties last week had a bit of an internet outage issue, but uh, but we're back. Uh, as always, it's Zach the Bandit Burke and the man you know and love, the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What is going on, buddy? Just coming off a couple amazing weekends of football. It's now January 31st, so the simulators are back open. I can start working on the golf swing again, getting ready for the spring, but we still got one more big week of football, and I mean, I just don't think there's been a better playoff in my lifetime than this NFL season. It's been absolutely insane. Every game's basically one score. It's, it's been nuts. How are you doing, Burke? I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. It's, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, we, we didn't record last week. Um, again, due to technical difficulties, we apologize. Uh, but divisional round was wild. Uh, now it's all it's way old news, and we'll maybe briefly chat about a couple things because we you know we haven't talked about it. Um, but it just you know it just it, you know you're almost asking you know how how could how could that weekend of football be beat? You know how could how could it get better, uh, or how could it even stay all at par or the same? Uh, and it did, it just, it's just, and this is actually the, one of the things that I love is if you look at how my gambling season went, it went horribly, absolutely horrible because there was just so much parody in the league. Every, like it, it fell other than a handful of teams, three, four teams that anybody on any given day could win a game, uh, had a shot, was in a game and that's what you're seeing this playoffs. And I think, you know, if, if, if I, if my gambling has to suffer, so that we can have a playoffs like this every year, then I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what the NFL wanted. There's parity here. We have two number four seeds heading to the Super Bowl now, and it looked like it could be a number four and a number six seed. So everything's just so much closer. And the thing is, is like everyone, you saw that Buffalo KC game in the divisional round. Everyone's like, oh, you need an elite QB to win. I mean, Joe Burrows looked pretty elite at times, but his game yesterday wasn't that good. 250, two touchdowns and interception. That's not elite. You had Jimmy G almost make the Super Bowl. That's definitely not elite. And then you have your criticism of Matthew Stafford. So what does make the Super Bowl now? It's crazy parody in this league, and it's just, as a fan, it's awesome to see. It's You kind of miss the dynasties. You see that same in hockey. You don't really quite get the same dynasties. But uh, just as an overall fan with no true rooting interest anymore, it's just fun. Well, absolutely. And let's just briefly talk about a couple of the things. And again, this is kind of old news. We're recording over a week late on it. Um, But the two biggest things that happened in the divisional round, I mean, they were all good games, no doubt about it. Um, But, you know, let's let's just talk really briefly about uh, the Green Bay Packers could not get it done versus the San Francisco 49ers. Um, And it just, you know, that kind of blew up my playoff pool. I really thought that they were, you know, I was listening back to our NFC preview and I, and as we, as I said, and as you know, I'm sure everybody said, um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, I think they're going to make it to the, the, you know, to the conference championship and blow it. And they blew it in the divisional round this year. So, you know, that's uh, it's classic Packers. It just happened a week early. Yeah, I mean, you just look at it, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the all-time chokers in the playoffs. We're now talking about it. Matthew Stafford has the same amount of Super Bowl appearances as Aaron Rodgers. Oof. That's a thing now. Like, it's it's just, I don't know what to say about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers anymore. Aaron Rodgers was worse than Jimmy G in that divisional game. He just can't get it done in the playoffs. 
He's just can't. I don't know if there's any way to beat around it. He's the, one of the best quarterbacks we've seen over the last while. But to just consistently not show up in the playoffs, the, it's not good. And Aaron Rodgers hasn't been good enough, and he wasn't good enough here. We'll see what happens with him in the offseason. If he's going to retire, go to Denver seems to be the big talk. But uh, just a complete mess. And, I mean, yeah, we just had them losing one week too – or they lost one week too early, I guess. Well, I kind of screwed us, and hey, you know what? Those the four ers were good, and and we're gonna get to we're gonna get to the championship games that we just saw um, last night. We're recording on Monday this week. Um, we're not gonna be doing our our Super Bowl preview or our props uh, this week, so we kind of got a we got a bit of a break. And Cam, I don't know about you, but I don't really feel the one thing I will say is I don't really <laughs> I don't really feel like covering the Pro Bowl because Mac Jones is is an alternate in it and that just makes the whole thing a sham and I don't think we need to even discuss or talk about this ever. No, it's pretty bad when a quarterback who's was I don't know, arguably bottom 5 in the AFC is now in the Pro Bowl and anytime he actually had to throw the ball, he was horrible. He had a decent amount of wins, they made the playoffs, but he got forced to throw the ball and he got exposed. I mean, I will still beat it to the ground here. I have not seen any more from Mac Jones than Tua. Tua is not even anywhere near a pro bowler, but neither is Mac Jones. And that's all we have to say about it. Uh, so the last thing I want to talk about the visual round, we had an all-time classic uh, Buffalo Bills lose a heartbreaker to the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime. Both defenses were absolutely exhausted uh, by the end of that game. But that last three minutes, um, we were actually watching together uh, that game. And, uh, man, like it was, I know we were standing around the bar, but holy shit. Like it was like, even if we were sitting on couches, like that's one of those games with no rooting interest, either side. I, I you know, I'm not a bills hater. I'm not a chief support. I, it just, it was just such a good football game. And I'll tell you what, did I fire up, uh, chiefs money line at plus 1400 with 13 seconds left? Absolutely. I did 100% and it paid off so nicely. That was my one of my biggest wins of the season was that game. Um, you, both guys just put on an absolute clinic, and I'm, you know, and I, I do want to talk about the coin toss and the overtime stuff a little bit after this, but you know, it just it it, it really just came down to the fact that Josh Allen made zero mistakes, um, and and still they, the Bills didn't get the job done. It's just terrible coaching. Just overall, 13 seconds. You can't. You shouldn't be able to give up that. There's just zero way. You, as soon as they kick the ball into the end zone for the touchback, I'm like, what are you doing? You kick it inbounds, there's five seconds. Even if you get to the 30, there's five seconds off the clock. So now they only have, what, eight seconds? And then you intentionally take a holding penalty. There's another five-second off, five-yard penalty. So now they, what, have three seconds? So they basically just have to chuck it down the field. It's crazy that Casey kept those three timeouts for that run too. Like that's just absolutely insane by any read that he had all three timeouts left with 13 seconds left in the game. Huge balls, honestly. Helps that they were leading all game. So that's kind of huge. Just it's, I mean, just so many things went wrong. I mean, we'll talk about the coin flip after yesterday. Everyone's talking, oh, see, overtime is fair sometimes. And I'm like, no, it's still not. It worked out fine yesterday. Like there was mistakes and it was okay yesterday and, the team who deserved to win went one, but the overtime rules still need to change. There's got to be a better way than this. It's still ridiculous. It's now what ten and two in playoff or eleven and two all time in playoffs. Team who wins the coin toss wins the game. Still not fair. So, uh, it's just a, just an ultimate classic though. Maybe the greatest football game I've ever seen. Well, in the last two minutes was an absolute clinic on both sides. And and to be honest, I thought the game was over three times. You know, Tyreek Hill scores that touchdown. I'm like, oh, game's over. 
Gabriel Davis scores a touchdown. I'm like, oh, man, I think the game actually might be over. It didn't stop me from firing up the money line because it's the Chiefs and you never know. But I was like, dang, like the, I thought it was over again. And then, it's you know, they Chiefs sent it to overtime. And I'm like, man, <laughs> whatever happens here is going to be nuts. Uh, Chiefs end up just, uh, you know, as I said, every drive was just an absolute clinic. Um, but we'll get to I, I do want to talk a, a little bit about overtime a little more um, kind of after we talk about the uh, championship games. And uh, and do you want to do you want to do that now? Yeah, we can do that now. So, I mean, the first game was uh, since he hold on, I got I to gotta play the music for the second last time this year. Uh, because we're going to do the over six. Uh, championship weekend, we kind of did some picks, but it's really just a recap show. Any excuse this late in the season to play uh, NFL games is just, uh, I, can't, I can't take it back. So we're going to do this. We're going to talk about both games. And, um, and yeah, as I said, next week we're going to be doing Super Bowl prop bets. We're going to do Super Bowl preview. It's going to be an awesome show. We're hoping to have a few guests on next week. It's going to be a great time. Uh, and hopefully we're going to make some cash, just like last year. All right, Cam. Uh, two games yesterday. Started it off in the afternoon. Uh, I thought this game probably should have been the late game, but that's not how it worked, obviously, just with the, the time zones, really the main reason why they, they played it like they did. But this probably should have been the marquee game, the, the late night game. But... It was uh, we had the Cincinnati Bengals heading to Arrowhead uh, versus the Kansas City Chiefs and the Bengals sneak out an overtime win. Just a messy kind of like weird game overall. Uh, when KC just screwed up at the end of the first half, you knew that was like the momentum just changed. You have a chance for three plays, probably two, but the second you go for a screen pass and it's not there with three seconds left, no timeouts you got to spike the ball or throw it through the end zone, take the three points, move on. You can't make that pass. Tyreek can't catch that. And as soon as they did that and gave up points for no reason from, what, the four-yard line, it was tough. You just felt like that was a massive momentum change, even though it made no difference because Casey was getting the ball at the start of the second half. It just something clicked there for both teams where KC just momentum dropped huge and the Bengals were all pumped up. They didn't let it, them score at the end of the first half. So I have a theory. Just drastically changed right there. I have a theory. I don't think that Casey wanted to go up twenty-eight to three. I think that's why they're they're like they're like fuck it, like we we're touchdown or bust here. We got a big lead, but we don't want to go twenty-eight to three. Uh, I really wish they did because if the Bengals came back from twenty-eight to three, the Falcons' curse may have been lifted. Like, and I, legitimately, that curse may have been lifted, but alas, it wasn't. It was only twenty-one to three. Yeah, that play was odd. Um, I get being aggressive. I mean, let's be honest here. If you're up that amount, if you're up 18 points and you're getting the ball back, for sure, you're going for the touchdown. I I get the kicking part of it, but I also get the side where you're like, okay, our offense has been firing in all cylinders, and that Chiefs team looked absolutely unstoppable in the first half. And then the second half rolled around, and I'm not sure if the Bengals' defense just stepped it up, but, man, the Chiefs just did not look the same. They had three points in the second half, and... Um, yeah, I mean, if you, even if you look towards the end of that game, right? Like the Bengals tied it up. They gave the ball back to the uh, – sorry, the, the the Chiefs had a chance down low um, basically to win the game. They ended up having to kick a field goal and tying it. And, you know, Tony Romo saying, well, you, get, you should really let them score here. And I'm like, 
I was saying to you, cause we were, you know, celebrating a buddy's birthday and I was like, really, you're going to let him score? Like I, why just try and stop him? And sure enough, ended up working out like that. And, and they got the field goal and, you know, I went to overtime I mean, and the rest is history, but Tony Romo's comments make sense. You watched them last week or even in the first half of this game, they were unstoppable. So what do you want to do? You let them score quick. So then you have the ball, you have your, like the fate is in your hands then instead of leaving it up to KC. So Tony Romo's, he did make a lot of sense there because really do you trust your defense overall against KC and Patrick Mahomes? Nine times out of 10, no. Yeah, I, this was the one out of ten where they did. So Tony Romo's comments did make a lot of sense given what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, and like two weeks ago now, I guess a week and a half ago now, what he did in Buffalo. So it did make a lot of sense. Although, ideally, you do what they did and got the stop, forced them to the field goal. Well, and that's and that's that's the thing, right? Like I look at this and I'm like, okay, you're up twenty four twenty one. This is why I dif- I disagree with Tony here. And now Tony's a skill, like, I'm just a plug. I'm just a random commentator, you know, couch quarterback, couch coach who, and I just look at this. I'm like, okay, you're up 24 to 21. Why would you let them score? Like, then you, then you're, it's a four point game. You have to get a touchdown. At least try. Like, because if, if, if you, if they score a touchdown and there's, and there's time left, okay, you still have to get that. You still have to get the touchdown no matter what. But if you stop them, it's a tie game. If it's 21, 21. And there's that much time left? Sure, let them score. That makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because if they drain that clock down, they kick the field goal, game's over. You don't even get the ball back. I get that. You're up three, though? I'm like, eh. Well, that's what, like... But you weren't getting the ball back, so you were leaving it up for a coin flip then. Did you really want to leave it up for a coin flip? Because you know Casey's going to score at least the field goal there, no matter what, and there's going to be no time left. So you're either going to overtime, or you let them score, and then the ball is in your hands, and you have the chance to win it. So it's basically like going in overtime. If they score, you have a chance to go down the field, score the touchdown, win the game. If you don't let them score, they kick the field goal, you go to overtime, and it's a coin flip. We saw what happened last week. So a lot of the percentages, analytics-wise, Tony Roman made a ton of sense. Percentage-wise, everything he said makes sense. But the Bengals did what you didn't think they could do and actually stopped KC there and forced the field goal, and then KC won the field Won the coin toss and it didn't matter. So that's a great transition, as you said, right? It did, and it did come down to that coin flip. Casey won the flip, and uh, and you know they tweeted out, you know, we won the coin toss, all caps, and uh, <laughs> and I forget who was tweeted something out. I mean, the Bengals responded back to that tweet after they had won the game and said, you know, uh, but we haven't mentioned by the way, Bengals won twenty seven twenty four in overtime, uh, but they came back and tweeted, yeah, but we won the game, something to that effect, and somebody tweeted out. Again, my sources are terrible. Almost as terrible as the Tom Brady retirement sources. Uh, And we'll get to that. But that, you know, hey, this is what you have to do in overtime. Actually make a stop. Josh Allen just tweeted pain. Poor guy. (laughs) Poor Josh Allen. But, I mean, there's some validity to that, man. This Bengals team, they got, you know, they had an interception, ran it back. As soon as they got to the 50-yard line, I'm like, dude, Evan McPherson could kick this 60 yarder no problem. Like I didn't care. Like if they if it was a 55 yarder, he was kicking it. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Uh, didn't have to end up doing it uh, from that uh, from that far away. They got down and he kicked a 31 yarder to win the game. 31 yards, you, it was automatic. I'm like I pff, this guy is just so good. And Bengals once again tweeted out, "This is why you draft a kicker." Love to see it. And I think it's just bet. You know, it's as much as you know people. You see Joe Burrow's cringy and all this kind of stuff and. And you can touch on that because I, I don't really care as much as maybe some other people. But 
I just like to see that it's a different, you know, it's a, it's a Super Bowl we're going to have here and it's not Tom Brady. It's not a Manning, you know, it's not any of the normal characters. It's two guys who had never been to a Super Bowl football in its purest form. Um, and Hey, shout out to a Bengals fan base. Part of me is happy for this because as a Leafs fan, like there's hope, there's hope. This Bengals team hasn't been like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's absolutely hope here. Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I find Joe Burrow super cringy. All these celebrations, him talking about his necklace, and like, I just don't really understand the guy. He's just super cringy to watch in interviews and stuff. He's talented. Uh, everyone's still talking about, oh, he's making this O line look good. If you actually look at football outsiders and PFF, he actually makes this O line look bad. They're ranked 20th in the league, which is about average, slightly below average, and yet he gets sacked more than anybody because he holds the ball on too long, pedal, back pedals a lot. So, yeah, the O line kind of average and he actually makes them look worse so all those comments are wrong but he's super talented this game really didn't show it but they got the job done so the defense showed up more i think than the offense in this game but you still got to score some points they got enough points and uh they're going to the super bowl so it's impressive and uh yeah they get to be the home team too so we'll see how it goes i mean (laughs) opening lines four points we'll see what it goes by next week when we're making the picks Oh, no doubt about it. And there's going to be a ton of stuff to go into because, again, you know, in the la- every other year we talk about, oh, it's Tom Brady. We know what his pedigree is and what he's done in Super Bowls. And, or it's Patrick Mahomes. We know he, what he's done. And um, maybe we're going to see this thing where I, I still honestly think that, like, the Chiefs, just the way that they rolled down the field, they were the, they, they, them and the Bills are the two best teams in the AFC, no doubt in my mind. Uh, they just choked. I, they, I don't, I don't think there's any other way around it. They just choked. Um, the amount of points, as I said, that they scored in the second half, just horrendous, and they just, they just were not good enough. Obviously, uh, getting to the second game, uh, LA Rams twenty, the San Francisco 49ers seventeen. Uh, low scoring affair. The total was 45 and a half. I believe last time I had seen, and it was well under, um, 49ers covered. So that's, that's good. But down the stretch, they just, you know, Jimmy, you know, where do you want to start on this game here? Because the 49ers for most of this game, like the first quarter was probably the most boring first quarter of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this was just kind of a messy, boring, sloppy game overall. Some weird coaching moments. Sean McVay looked like he hired Brian Flores for challenges for this game with some of the worst challenges I've seen since Miami was playing. Uh, Shanahan making some weird calls, when to go for it, when not. Uh, Just a messy kind of game. So boring to start. I actually, like, impossible to get into early. But, I mean... Everyone's going to be just talking about the tart where he should have intercepted it late in the game. The underthrown ball by Stafford probably should have, but that wasn't the reason that the difference in this game, there were so many messy parts of this game. And at the end of the day, like the Rams got the job done. And I just, I, I was not looking forward to seeing Jimmy G versus the Bengals in the Super Bowl. I don't even know if I'd be that excited to watch it. Uh, so this is a little more exciting. The Rams, I think th- again, they went all in for this Odell and Von Miller finally picking it up a bit. And they got the job done here. They kind of did what they needed to at the right times. And Cooper Cup is just, he's unbelievable. Oh, I mean, unbelievable is an understatement. This guy just shows up. Uh, two touchdowns this game. Uh, big play late, um, you know, to, to get them into a, into a great, great range to take the lead. Um, man, and you have to feel good for, you know, like Aaron Donald finally gets there. Matt Stafford as well, man. You got to feel good for this guy. Um, and I was just, I was listening back in our, 
uh, to our NFC preview. And, and we had this division. Well, one of the things that we said, now we were high on the Seahawks, both of us. I had them at second. You had them at winning the division. Obviously, you know, Russ gets hurt. That kind of changes. And, and one of the caveats, obviously, um, you know, for, for those is that, you know, it's all injury dependent and that's, you know, an easy out. Uh, but we, one of the things that we did say that I, that we, that I thought was good. I'm like, you know, I had the Rams of the division at 13 and four, but one of the things we said was all three teams, like the, the three teams, of this division are going to be close. Like it's going to be, you know, one game, two games here and all three teams. And then we said, this is going to be one of the best divisions in football. And that's one of the things that did happen. I mean, you have the Rams in San Francisco. They're in the uh, conference championship. Arizona went out early. That's fine. It happens. Uh, but all these teams made it. You had the two two play, two teams from the NFC West were there. And, you know, San Francisco surprised me. Their, their defensive schemes were decent. You know, McDaniel made a couple of nice calls on offense for, for the Niners. And, and they looked really good. I mean, they were up 17. To, was it 17-7? I think it was. Uh, in the third quarter, and um, and you know, obviously, I live bet the Rams because why? I twice, 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 <laughs> I bet them at even when they were down. Uh, shoot, I forget what it was. I think it was ten seven. The the yeah, I think. Well, let me let me just look at the, how this worked here. I think it was ten, yeah. So so after the Robbie Gold field, field goal to end the second quarter, uh, at the start of that, I bet them yet even money uh, on the money line. And then I doubled down after the touchdown uh, early in the third quarter and um, or late in the third quarter, whatever it was. And they went up 17-7. I'm like, man, this Rams team's way too good. Bet them on the money line at a, at a really nice chunk, and they ended up winning the game. But uh, the last play of this game, Jimmy G did the most Jimmy G thing ever. I know it's – I think it was third down, right? So you still had another play here to, to extend the drive – you had you had you had some uh, some time, not a lot of time, but some time. And Jamie G just throws the worst interception ever with a minute and nine seconds remaining, and uh, and essentially flushed. very Carson Wentz esque, very Carson Wentz esque, absolutely. Um, it just I saw the end of that game or listened to it on the radio because I was driving home. But man, they're like, oh. Garoppolo's intercepted on the 20. I'm like, what the fuck happened? I saw the highlight this morning. I'm like, oh, my God. That was the worst play ever. Yeah, overall, the San Fran team had a really good defensive line. Like, Bosa's a freak. He's unbelievable. He's one of the best players in the league. And then everything you see from this McDaniel offense, the way he's like, I utilized Debo Samuel and made Jimmy G look pretty good at times. Uh, Kittle, Debo being used like that, it's it's pretty interesting to see. It's definitely a very different scheme. The way they've got Trent Williams running, that guy running like a tight end is just insane and terrifying if you're a linebacker because that guy is massive. Uh, just it's a, it's an interesting scheme, and they, San Fran was way better than I thought they were this year. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, and they went for a good run, played really good defense against tough teams, even with a kind of questionable secondary. So. I mean, they looked really good, but at the end of the day, I think the Rams are the better team, and I'm way more excited to see the Rams in the Super Bowl. And it's just crazy stat. In the NFL history, you had never seen a team host a host team make the Super Bowl, and now we're seeing it back-to-back years. Uh, so pretty interesting. We'll see if we can see back-to-back years where the host team wins the Super Bowl now. Well, we're going to, as I said, we're going to get into that. So Super Bowl, uh, what is it, 56? Uh, Super Bowl 56 in L.A., Versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Going to be an absolute 
show. I am glad that the Rams made it because it is going to be a better game, no doubt about it. Uh, I did not want to see the Niners there, no offense. Partially because I was down on them all year, so I felt like if they made the Super Bowl, I'd look like a super idiot. But as a Dolphins fan, we get at least one spot better pick. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. If they, oh, that would have been that would have been just the worst. Uh, but let's talk about uh, the overtime rules a little bit. I did say that I wanted to get back to that, and and we're gonna get back to it now. The Chiefs not winning last night was helpful to the people who are pro the rules to be the same, because they're like, oh, see, it doesn't work like that all the time, and I'm like. You and you talked about the statistics of how often a team with a coin flip wins, right? And it's it's way outweighs the team that that wins when they don't win the coin toss, and you don't want to see that. Now, the part of the thing yeah, it's 11, 11 and two in playoffs now all time eleven and two in playoffs. Right. So like let's let's just let's just consider this. Let's go back to what was it 2019? 2019, The Chiefs lose the through twenty nineteen and twenty eighteen. Chiefs in the playoffs lose the coin toss. They end up. <laughs> Mahomes doesn't get the ball. They end up losing the game in overtime, and the Chiefs say, "Okay, we want to change the rules." And they got shot down. And the Bills were one of the people who didn't want it changed. Fast forward to 2022, Bills are on the receiving end of that, and that's going to happen naturally, right? Like every team at one point or another, under the under the same rules that we currently have, is going to get eaten up alive by this. Uh, but after having that game, that Bills versus Chiefs game, it just got amplified. Fast forward to the next week, it happens again. And the the Bengals get a stop, and they end up winning the game. But this just begs the question: Why are we playing? Like, especially with this Bills game and Chiefs game, why are we not having a, a an overtime? And I get the argument, you know, well, you don't want to extend the game forever, blah blah blah. Okay, I get that. But how how are we not letting each team have one possession and then figure out figure out what to do if it drags on after that? Like, yeah, we don't want triple overtime like the NHL, where you're playing four, sometimes five you know, overtimes at five on five. And I think they should change that, frankly. Uh, but that's another conversation. Oh, you don't like it. Well, we'll, we'll... No, here's what... Like, I, I think they need to go follow what the NHL does more or less. The NHL during the regular season goes three on three overtime and a shootout. So it ends quick. And it's going to end fairly quick. Playoffs is a different story. Everyone's playing a week apart now. There's no short weeks or any of that stuff. Playoffs is a different story. So the NFL, if they want to stick to these rules for the regular season... So be it. That's fine. I know regular season games mean more than the NHL because there's less and stuff. But sure, have a different rule for the regular season than you do playoffs. Maybe it's not having seven overtimes or whatnot, but maybe we play out the first overtime. Just play out the time. No matter what happens, happens. And then maybe if you get to a second overtime, then you start getting into the possessions and stuff. But they got to try something different. But I think the NHL, the way that they do it, regular season playoffs, is at least a little nicer. Really, who's... Other than probably the players, the players association in the NFL would never agree to it. Who would care if we had three overtimes in a football game? If it was like the Bills Chiefs game and they're scoring four touchdowns every overtime, who's saying no as a fan? It's true. I guess maybe this game where nobody's scoring and it could be messy. Yeah, maybe we don't want to see that forever. But I think playoffs regular season, you could go something different. When you talk to all the analytics people, starting at your own 10 gives it way closer to a 50% chance. It's like 55-45 instead of having a kickoff and stuff where they're going to get it at least a 25-yard line. So there's a lot of different things to do. You could do the CFL. You could do college, which is different, both kind of messy at times. But there's zero way that both offenses shouldn't get the ball at least once, especially in playoffs. Again, if you want to keep this f- fine for the regular season to keep games shorter, 
I get that argument 100%. But playoffs, when it matters the most, we can't be doing this. So I think the real easy solution, you mentioned CFL. Let's just bring in the fucking Rouge. Why the hell not? That one point, man, that's going to be the difference. You know, I'm, and I'm, I'm half kidding. But as much as I hate the Rouge, you got to give it to the CFL, man. Adding one point on there. Now, you missed extra points and stuff in the NFL, so probably it even out in a terrible way. But it's not a terrible idea. The only thing that I would say, and I'll make my argument about the, the overtime in the NHL. Man, that just kills people. Four, five, 20-minute OTs at five-on-five five just absolutely kills players, and the next game is usually not as good. And I get it's a grind, and it's fun as a fan. Honestly, it is. But, you know, you could go, you know, the first 20 minutes, you could go five-on-five. Five. The next 20, you could go four-on-four. Four. The next 20, you can go three-on-three. Three. It's a little bit different in football because, realistically, somebody's going to get a field goal and somebody's going to miss. Like, having that many overtime periods in the NFL is probably not – like, that's probably not going to make that much of a difference. I really don't think the games will get extended as long as they do. But, and even if you say, well, you play out the time, right? It's just, to me, so much easier to say, okay, each team gets a possession. And if the, say, team one scores a field goal, you have to score a field goal at least. If you score a touchdown, you win the game. If no team score, then it's next team who scores wins within the time frame that you're talking about of that first overtime. After that, if you want to say, and I was thinking about this too, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just say, okay, start on the your own 25, no kickoff, or start on your 30 and have three downs. Don't have four downs, have three downs. And go the other way. Like, go CFL rules. Go three. Talk, yeah, talking way more CFL. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, but the, this is only in overtime is what I'm saying, though. It's like, and again, I, everybody knows I'm not the biggest CFL fan, but you got to reduce it. Like, you're not going to reduce players on the field. I've seen that where it's like, let's well, take a player off the field. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any difference. Like, it's like you take because every team is going to take a wide receiver off the field. It's just be stupid. Like, it's just going to make it slower. So it doesn't make any sense. But there's got to be a way. But at least have each team get one possession and you have to match it just it, to me it makes the most sense yeah there, there's a lot of different options here and it'll be discussed i think in the offseason again whether it'll get changed or not i don't know hopefully this bills kc game like that was the best game of the year so far no doubt in my no mind. doubt hopefully that's gonna that's gonna change it because you had that big of a game that exciting of a game and kind of like that and not that the ending wasn't exciting like the kelsey touchdown was exciting but to just see Josh Allen not get a chance to go back the other way, I just don't think is good for the sport. So there's a thousand different ways we could do it, but the way we're doing it right now is clearly not the way that it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Extremely well said. And just, yeah, as you said, you really just got to you gotta figure it out. Got to do something. Now, wouldn't it be funny if the Chiefs voted against the rule change? Like, that would be... <laughs> That would just be so – I don't think they would, honestly. Like, I, I, I mean, they're probably like, hey, we'll, we'll do it. Like, we want to beat you best on best. We don't want to have to have, you know, for it to come down to a, to a coin flip by any means. But anyway, that's going to be – yeah, I'm really looking forward to the, to the Super Bowl. We always get together and, uh, and have a good time. Uh, Super Bowl also, by the way, I saw traction for it to be played on a Saturday. Not the worst idea in the history of the world. Cincinnati has already canceled all elementary and public schools for February 14th, the Monday after the Super Bowl. So they're ahead of it. I mean, it's just, it should just be, especially in the U.S., maybe not Canada, because, again, there's not there's a large percentage of Canadians who watch the NFL, but not everybody. The U.S., it should just be a national holiday. Like, the Monday after the Super Bowl, like, <laughs> nobody wants to go to work. No. Nobody wants to do anything. No. It should be a national holiday. It, let's, let's be honest here. It should be. Now, I, no, there is a large amount of Canadian fans, but, like, a lot of people are like, all right, well, I'm booking work off on the Monday. I got ho- I got holidays to use. Like, you know, 
I have I have taken a vacation day for February fourteenth. I will be honest. See, there you go. It's perfect. And you know, you know, especially you know, if if you know whoever's listening, you got a lady or whatever, take the Monday off, spend the day doing some nice things at home, whatever you got to do, man. Like, hey, there's some there's some validity to that. You don't have to tell them that it's because of the Super Bowl. I mean, it's obvious when it happens, but at the day of, you're like, oh no, no, I'm just just gonna clean the house and. You know, I really just needed an extra day off. But anyway, well, Burke, I think that's pretty much all we have to touch on this last week. And we'll have tons of time to touch on the Super Bowl. Yes. I think we got some big Sunday football to touch on, though, that we kind of didn't touch on. I mean, there was a million viewers in Canada who were watching Sunday football. Yes. But it wasn't either of those games. A million people tuned in to Canada versus USA World Cup qualifying soccer, football, depending on how you want to put it, which is just insane. This is this game's going on at the same time as the AFC Championship game, and there's a million people watching it on Sportsnet at different times throughout it, close to a million viewers overall. And I mean, it's it's a, just a ton of fun to be a Canadian soccer fan. Kyle Laren scores six minutes in against the U.S. He's now the all-time Canadian record holder for goals with 23. He's 26 years old, which if you actually look at the best players on Canada, is old. <laughs> Well, I, I said that like how long ago did I say I'm like the old man on the team and you're like he's 26 and I'm like dude I'm we turned 28 this year I'm like holy shit we're we're fucking old <laughs> so so far we got the third game to go on Wednesday but uh Canada in this draw has now picked up six points against Honduras and the USA the USA is the 11th ranked team in the world and Canada beat them two nothing in Hamilton and I was just listening to uh, PTI a little earlier today and the U.S. coach said his comments were, we were the much better team. We played them harder. They didn't like how physical we could play. We were just the better team overall. And the PTI guys, who were massive U.S. guys, they're like, you guys lost 2 nothing. How can you say you were that much better team? They couldn't play you physically. All this stuff. He's like, you lost 2 nothing. The shots were 13-8 to for the U.S. Shots on goal were very similar. Borean had a great game in net for Canada again. The physicality, Canada's not scared of being physical. They no. almost got in a full brawl with Mexico. So I don't know where those comments are. But at the same point, like, you just lost. So move on, get over it. Like, you didn't win the game. You lost 2 nothing. In soccer, that's... You're getting close to a blowout at 2 nothing. <laughs> close to a blowout. Let's just make sure that we know that the second goal was scored like the 95th minute. Yeah, it was the 95th minute. But, but still, it was, it was the dagger. So, I mean, who would have thought this was the first... I mean, there's been exhibition games where Canada's won, but the first World Cup qualifying game Canada's beat the U.S. since 1980. Just huge. And this is reminded, these last two games have been without their best player. The best player in CONCACAF, a top 11 player in the world in Alfonso Davies. So this is, I mean, this is the best Canadian soccer team we've ever seen. And not only are they making waves in CONCACAF, there's teams in Europe and stuff taking notice of this Canadian team right now. Well, and it's, I saw the thing that was, you know, like Davies is on his Twitch and he's, you know, streaming the game live and, and commenting on it himself. And the tweet came out and basically said like, man, like how good is this Canadian team that their best player can, can call the game and they, and, and they don't even sweat it. And I'm like, man, is that ever true? Um, one of the things that I will say is that it is so American to stick to your guns when you lose. You know, like, and shout out to our American listeners. We love you guys. But, like, that's what I respect about it. You know, you lose and you, and you still think you're the best. And I love that. 
You know, why not? Why? Like, who, if, if they would have came out and, you know, like Canada, we'll, we'll say, you know, we're the, we're the nice ones up here, right? We lose. We say, you know what? That team was a really great team. You know, they grinded so hard, like really tough to play against. You know, we'll looking forward to rivalry for years on years in, in, in the future and all that nice stuff. Americans are like, no, fuck you. We were better and you guys got lucky. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I, I hope that rivalry remains the same, man. And you, and you love to see what's happening with, with Canadian soccer and, and the fans in Hamilton, man, you got to give those guys a shout out. Holy crap. Were they, they were fired up. Yeah. All 12,000 of them as they got the exemption to have 12,000. 12, there, there, there was 20. There's, there was 20,000. Yeah. Let's be honest. But this is like, this is the most insane thing. This is like, you look at it. It's NFC AFC championship weekend. It's three o'clock right when the first game's starting. And we have 20,000 fans outdoors in Jan- late January in some of the coolest weather we've had all year watching a soccer game. And that's just how big this is to this country. This is massive. And again, like this is just exciting to be a Canadian soccer fan. I never thought that I would see this. I remember watching like De Rosario and Osorio, who's still playing for the team, and Adaba Hutchison and knowing about Junior Hoylett who played in Europe and he was our best player. Like Canada's had some decent players. We've had some really good MLS players. Derrizario was unbelievable for TFC. We now have all world players. Jonathan David has the most goals in the last 10 months in professional soccer in any league. Like this is like Alfonso Davies made the all 11 team won a champions league with Bayern. Like this is just super exciting. And if they're going to make the World Cup. Their magic number is eight, so they can't technically do it on Wednesday. I think there's a chance, depending on what happens. It's some weird. But their true magic number is eight points right now with four games left. They're going to do it. It's almost – unless something happens. Like they need, eight points to gonna, like eight, they need eight points to make it? Eight points officially does it no matter what happens to, for everybody else. But ideally, they probably only need three points. Three points probably gets the job done and they qualify for the World Cup, but currently they need eight because they need uh, El Salvador is only eight points behind them. So technically they could play for that last, that fourth spot, which puts them into like the group of whatever who's a play in tournament or something. So, oh, wow. But eight points gets them in. They're going to get eight points in the next four games. It's, it's just, it's exciting. And I don't really like, I'll be watching the game Wednesday again. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. <laughs> no, I can. Well, I mean, hey, it's anytime you have Canada, you know, playing in any sort of international sport, it's great. Uh, again, gambling. We're part of a gambling podcast, man. I hit up uh, Canada plus two fifty on the money line versus U.S. Threw a nice little chunk down on that, and it paid nicely. I did talk about hedging the tie. I did not hedge the tie. I just rode the money line. Uh, shout out SGP. I just let it ride on the money line, and it paid nice. Um, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, World Cup's going to happen. World Cup's going to happen the next time around anyway, because it's in Canada. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're going to get the automatic berth with the split thing, but it's just nice that we're earning our spot before that. And you think about how young Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies are. These guys are just going to be even better then. Like, they should be hitting their prime then. Like, this is... Well, you know the players are going to get better. There's going to be other players who are going to be you know, th- their level is going to increase and we will have better players in four years. And I have no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, this is again, just the prime for these guys. It's super exciting. Like we're not lo- like, we're looking at like one of the best teams in CONCACAF who has two legit world powers in Mexico and the U S like, and now we're not going to the world cup just to be like, we've 
we were there. I'll be honest. We're not winning the World Cup. Like, how much of an optimist I am about this program and the way things are looking. John Herdman is the manager. We're not winning the World Cup. But could we make a round of 16? Could we win a few games? Be super exciting? This is truly possible now. We could make the round of 16 at the World Cup. Like, this team is starting to be good enough. We have the talent to do it now, which you never thought. I don't think I ever thought we would have had in Canada. Well, and, this, and then this kind of just to wrap it up is that this is the big thing, right? Is that, you know, we we generally are not a soccer nation. But the women have proved that we are, right? They won gold at the Olympics. So, you know, we, we've proved that it's there. It, it's just taken us some time to build this program. And, I, and I'm just excited, man. Like, if you look, as you said, you look at the viewership numbers as as the tournament's gone on and as they've won, their viewership numbers have gone up in terms of people watching the games. You know, if they make the World Cup this year, four years from now when we're, you know, co-hosting it, like, th- this is going to be massive. Like, you are, you're going to see... An, an absolute influx in 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 professional football, so soccer fans, whatever, uh, in Canada, and you need an event like the World Cup, in my opinion. Like that's one of those events where when that comes here, like the international media that it's going to get, the kids that are going to be watching this, you know, no matter what the result is, you're going to see your hometown, you're you're going to see Team Canada playing the World Cup in Canada, and if that doesn't bolster your development program, like I don't know what. I don't know what will. It almost gives me goosebumps a little bit. Like every time the World Cup goes on, everywhere you go, you see flags, you see jerseys, every store is selling World Cup stuff. For Germany, like I've always been, my family's German. I've wore my Germany stuff. I've always cheered for Germany. How crazy is it going to be to just see Canada flags and Canada jerseys everywhere? And not just because we're there, because we actually could win a game or two. Like it'll be insane. Like all these people who are Canadians who have always kind of had to pick up their heritage or whatnot at the World Cup. We can just cheer for Canada. Like that that'll be insane. That'll be so much fun. And especially when it's here. I, I I'm yeah, it's it's exciting. Thank God I don't have to cheer for Ireland. Uh, that's just so disappointing every <laughs> every single year. Um also wild that if Canada like it looks like Canada's gonna make the World Cup and Italy's not, and Italy has won a World Cup. Like they won a World Cup in two thousand six, I believe it was. I don't know if that was the last time, but I definitely know they won in two thousand six. I don't know why that's it. Italy and Portugal who are playing in that playing game? I believe so. One of them is not going to make it. One of them's not going to make it. I think they're playing in that playing game, so one of them will miss the World Cup. Which is and cr- Canada will be there. Crazy. Whereas, well, it, yeah. I mean, they still got to do what they got to do. They got to take care of business. Like, that's not 28 to 3 this just yeah. yet. We have we have been to a game where they should have beat Honduras a few years ago to make the World Cup, and they lost 8 1. Yes. So was that. It does. So. Yes. It happens. But hey, you know, those kinds of games are games that build character. And if anything, we know as Canadians that, uh, you know, we, we take our defeats very humbly and we take our, our wins very humbly. Uh, but there's just so much to feel good about this, about this Canadian men's national team. And it's about time. The ladies have been telling us forever. You guys got to be better because we've been carrying this load for years and years. And Christine Sinclair is like, thank God somebody else is actually doing something because my back hurts from carrying, uh, you know, Canadian soccer for this long. Yeah, so I mean, we'll just, I mean, this the, the rest of this program is pretty much just talking Canadian uh, athletes overall. So we got to touch on the Aussie Open a bit here. Another exciting time for Canadian athletes. Shapovala, Felix both really did well, taking Medvedev, Nadal, both to five sets. 
and going far in the tournament. Just super exciting again. It looked like Felix was going to get the job done up two sets to none. But again, you just can't take your foot off the pedal against these top guys. Medvedev's won more than anybody else in the last 12 months. And Nadal now winning it is the all-time Grand Slam leader now with 21. Djokovic and Federer both at 20. But you got to assume with Djokovic looking like he's not going to be able to get to the French too, Nadal's got a good chance to make it 22. I know you're upset. He I'm upset. Federer's record. I'm upset. He's by himself. But, I mean, Nadal's still, he's one of the best all-time, and there's no doubt about that now and now he's number one in grand slams i i just want to i just want to take it give me a minute here i just want to say that i am choked um i'm a roger federer fan through and through i've got the you know like when i played tennis growing up played tennis in high school um you know i had the roger federer bag i had the roger federer red bandana you know whatever like i had all that kind of stuff fed racket and he's just been my boy he's been my boy forever always rooted for him and yeah, I'm gutted that he's not number one um, anymore. But like his note to Nadal was just unreal. Like you just show like the battles that these guys have had over the years, and I think their relationship is different between you know like Roger and and uh, and Rafa is just a little bit different than Roger to you know Djokovic. Now I I we've talked about this before. It's there's no doubt in my mind that as long as Djokovic doesn't get kicked off the tour because of, of the Vax stuff, which I don't think that's going to go on forever. Um, now he can't play on the Australia open unless he wins an appeal for three years. So, I mean, there's a positive, uh, but I mean, Djokovic is going to Djokovic overall, in my opinion, he's going to be the grand slam guy. He, he it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when now Rafa can, if he, Rafa going to play the French Djokovic is not by all accounts. So Rafa realistically in the front, we, we know Rafa in the French. Like that is no. That's why with it without Djokovic there, I'm like, he should we just pencil him in to win it? Basically, I would like, love to know the odds <laughs> on what like Rafa's got to be like minus two hundred to win. Yeah, it's like it's got to be. There's no way it's plus money. There's no way. Yeah, I was thinking Rafa was probably done on any other court other than the French, but he's proved us wrong again. He's just showing up when he needs to. My biggest takeaway from the Aussie Open this time though is especially watching these Canadians fight five set thrillers against these guys. Felix Rochapo is winning a Grand Slam in the next three years. Yep. With Rafa and Federer all but done in the next three years, uh, you see a couple of guys like Medvedev's up there. We've seen some from Zverev. Uh, Pass is sometimes there. One of these two guys is winning at least one major in the next three years. I can't see any way it doesn't happen unless they go into the Milos where they're constantly injured. But these guys are just too talented. Like, you just watch... Uh, Chapo's like his forehand is just reminding me of Nadal. He, I mean, I think it's the lefty, the southpaw kind of makes it look the same, but his forehand is just dominant and exciting. Felix looks like he can play kind of every kind of style. And man, these guys are so good. And I constantly like, I'm like, oh, these guys got to be like 24, 25 now. No, they're still way younger than that. Like they still got another 10 years of elite tennis and they're both right on the edge of the top 10 in the world. I, I think I just want to touch briefly on what you're saying just about Milos. I, I think. That Chapeau and Felix, um, they, they they play a more sustainable game, in my opinion. I mean, Milo's very much so relied on the heavy serve. Like, his ace game was super high. His first serves were unbelievable. Um, but Felix and Chapeau, in my opinion, just watching them play, they, they as I said, they have a way more sustainable game. Their cross-court coverage and their ability to keep rallies alive – and pick spots is just is so much better than what Milo showed. And you know, I think what was his he was top 10, right? He was 10th overall. 
I think you got a little higher than that. I think you got close to top five the one year, but but and and now you have what Felix and Shapoard both in the top twelve for sure. One's eleven and one's yeah, I think so. nine. I believe so. I don't know. I don't exactly know, but like as I said, like the, these young guys, like just the way they cover the court, um, you know, it, and it's unfortunate because. As you said, right? We think they're 24, 25, but obviously with the way that they play these games, um, you know, they, they just, you know, they, they played these games as young men. That's how they played it. Um, you know, you're up two sets, two sets on uh, Medvedev and, and you, you give it away in a sense, but it's like, you got to remember, there's a maturity aspect there. The, <clears throat> excuse me. These guys have not been to this spot uh, very often. Or, or a few times, but it takes it takes losing to create a really good winner. Unless you're Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, like the greatest of all times. Like the rest of the guys, ask ask Tsitsipas or or Medvedev how many times they've lost in the semis or the quarters before they've kind of broke through, right? It takes time, it takes development, um, but the future is just so so bright. And you know, as a lot as a lifelong tennis fan. Uh, but especially, and by the way, we didn't mention that team Canada won the, whatever the national tennis thing's called. It's called the Davis cup. It's yeah. The Davis cup has changed so much. So that was kind of irrelevant to me. It was exciting still, but it's not really the same tournament or same meaning it used to be three quick things here. So nine is Felix in the world. 12 is Chapo in the world. We were way off on Milos. He was as high as third. What? He was the third ranked player in November 2016. He was up to number three in the world. Damn. So we were way off on Milos. I thought he was up there because he did, had some pretty good, and he looked like he'd win Wimbledon or one of the hard courts with how good his serve was. But, uh, again, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Like, Chapo and Felix's game, it just looks like it should last. Like, they just have so many different aspects of their game. They can kind of play every game. And – like even Nadal kind of talked about it. Like Chapo's making shots that Nadal can't make anymore. He's making more errors. And in the moment seems to get to him a little more. Cause of course Nadal's been there, done that forever, but the shots that he's hitting right now, Nadal's like, I can't hit that shot anymore. I used to be able to, but he's now hitting shots that I can't hit, <laughs> which is, it's saying something when a guy who's one of the best shot makers of all time is saying, yeah, your forehand that you're hitting right now, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, no doubt. And not only that, but you know, like, this is where we talk about sustainable game, right? And experience and maturity is is you're able to, you know, control the game a little more. If you're up two sets to none, you win that you win that match. I mean, Djokovic is a great example. When he's up two sets to none, he wins three nothing, almost a hundred percent of the time. He just doesn't. He just he foot on the throat and it's over. And how often? Now the difference is when those guys get down 0-2, Medvedev is great or whoever, right? They they have some experience to climb back, right? And that's something that you have to build up. And that's not something that's done overnight, but you have to build that up. But on the flip side of that is you just, as I said, when, you, when you've got them down, you just got to, you got to buckle down. And sometimes maybe you grip the racket a little too tight. You try to do a little bit too much. And I get against these good players. Like you can't just sit back and return because they'll eat you alive. I mean, you're saying Nadal can't hit that same shot. No, he can't, but he can hit some damn good shots. He's still world-class, obviously, no doubt about it. Yeah, the biggest the, the biggest thing is just the moment watching these two matches is uh, like Felix had a good chance in the third set, up two sets to none. He had a break opportunity, which basically would have won the match. He would have served for the match if he gets it. And he just, he looks, the moment gets to him. He looks tense. He looks like he's gripping the racket too t hard. And then you just watch it the other way. Like Nadal, when he's down, he gets one break chance, and you're like, 
he's getting it. Like it's it's a, like he's getting this break point right here. Doesn't matter what the other guy does. Nadal's getting this break point. And those guys just don't seem to have the killer instinct and kind of that big moment potential, which you're even seeing from Fedeva bunch. And of course, Nadal has it. And I think they're going to learn. They're still super young. Yep. And that's where I just watch the talent that these two have. The way that they fought these five set battles against two of the best tennis players in the world right now, one all time. I'm like, these guys are going to get it done. So I, I, it's again, another super positive where Canadian sports and other things in hockey right now, it's, I don't know if it gets much better and it just kind of perfect timing too with the Olympics starting on Friday. No doubt about it. And I would say that's a good transition except for, I do want to just touch really briefly on Layla Fernandez did not have a very good Aussie open. Um, and, and there's a lot of, you know, people being critical, bringing up Jeannie Bouchard is kind of this one tournament wonder. Jeannie Bouchard, first of all, is still hot. So that's important. And she's coming back off of her injury. So she'll be back on the court at some point. We'll see what she's got. Obviously, Layla Fernandez is still Canada's girl right now. But, like, she's 19 years old, man. Like, it's it, as a 19-year-old, you get bounced in the first round of Aussie. Okay. Who cares? And any tennis player will tell you, Bianca Andreescu and Layla Fernandez, Bianca's still – she's almost going through Milos right now where she's just constantly injured, injury after injury after injury, which is really unfortunate. But Layla as well, their games are just – repeatable they'll go into each tournament it's really good when genie was really good for the year she was she played the most aggressive tennis ever she hit a thousand winners and didn't make any errors that's not gonna happen nobody's that good like it just you look at all time nobody's that good to play that risk reward tennis and win consistently it worked really well for a year but it's not sustainable over years where Layla and Bianca have multiple different games that they can play any kind of tennis you want and still be able to hit the winners, but they just actually have sustainable tennis games where they can do everything that needs to be done. And you've seen it from both of them. Bianca has a grand slam to her name already. Layla's looked phenomenal as a teenager still. So again, it sucks. We want after one really good performance by an 18 year old, you're like, Oh, she's 19. Now she's got to go to the finals. No, that's not how it works. She's young. She's exciting. She's charismatic. Like she'll get, again, I'm not, I don't know if she's going to win a ton of grand slams. I don't know that or watch that much compared to watching the guys. But again, I'm not as worried as compared to Jeannie where Jeannie's game just didn't, it wasn't repeatable and wasn't going to last. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and you never know. Jeannie might surprise you. Maybe she's changed her game. Like there's still, I mean, when you're a professional tennis player, man, like it's one of those things that you can, if you can move, movement is like 90% of what you have to do. 10% is you got to put it in the court. 90% is movement. Put yourself in the right spot and you'll have the ability to make great shots and win matches. Like that's just, that's, that's how the game goes. So if you can learn from that and get better, absolutely. But uh, Hey, Layla goes out. That's fine. I don't care. Nobody in Canada really even cared. Honestly, the Aussie opens my least favorite, my least favorite tennis tournament because it's every, every game's at three 30 in the fucking morning. It's like, it's the worst. It's, it's so terrible. The only nice thing is the five setters is I'm like up by the time it's in the third or fourth set. Yeah. You wake up. It's going deep. I'm like, coffee. I get to watch the rest of it. But if it's a three setter, I'm like, I'm not watching the start of this. Have a coffee. It's like eight 30. You know, you're going to work. Let's say you're the average person. You're going to work for nine o'clock and you're like, oh yeah, have a coffee. Seven 30 to eight. Watch a little bit of tennis. Yeah. We're good to go. Everything else. You're like, I didn't watch. I I'm not going to lie. I did not watch one minute of the pre, like uh, uh, until the quarters. Cause I, it just, it made no sense. The games were one, two, three, four in the morning. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not staying up for that. You get a little later quarter semis. Okay. Yeah. I'm in, I'll, I can make, I can make it happen, but 
you know, especially with a kid who wakes up at 6.30, fine. Wake up at 6.30, great, there's tennis on. But, yeah, I, I ain't doing the 3 o'clock kind of stuff. So, um, anyway, great. Well, we got, we got a bunch of that with the Olympics, too, a bunch of weird time stuff. We so. do, and that's, yeah, another great transition. So, we've got the, the, uh, the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics kicking off, uh, and it's kicking off on Wednesday, February the 2nd. According to... I just like how it's actually... I actually like how it's 2022 this year when it's 2022, unlike last year when it was the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Yes. So that's kind of exciting. Yes, I, I 100% agree. Um, I, I just want to give a shout out. So just so you know, everybody's, everybody's clear, um, the opening ceremonies for the Winter Olympics is on Friday, February the 4th, and it's running at 7 a.m. live from Beijing. But the, the, the actual Olympics in terms of events starts on Wednesday, February the 2nd. There's, uh, there's mixed doubles curling. We got uh, some men's training. We've got some preliminary women's hockey. But, but yeah, mixed doubles, that, that does start on February the 2nd. Shout out, by the way, to our boy from NFLBlitz.me, Jake Cowell. Sent us a beautiful, beautiful PDF file of all the events from the olympics every single day what time they're at he highlighted every single game that is canadian or matched or time that's canadian he highlighted everything that's gold medal he's i mean shout out man this is a fuck all times in eastern to make our oh life i know this guy's the a- olympic the olympic site doesn't set it up nicely for eastern time zone i don't care what time it is local that doesn't impact me. I'm not in China. So, yeah, unbelievable <laughs> job by Jake. We appreciate it. It's unfortunate he couldn't join us and give us a little more insight. Yes. Because uh, he definitely knows way more about Man's some of these events than we do. fucking psychotic when it comes to Olympics, obviously. This is a 37-page PDF file that this man's made. So, shout out uh, to our boy, Jake. What a guy. Uh, I love it. Let's start with uh, – I, I just want to go to page two of his PDF here, and we'll see if we can share it, by the way. We're going to ask him if we can share this on our Twitters. We'll see if the link is public, if he can share it, whatever. We'll, we'll try to find that out. Super great uh, great uh, resource. Uh, maybe we'll get him on next week. I'd like to get him on as a, as a guest next week talking about the Super Bowl because he's obviously got some great insight there. Uh, but uh, looking at the medal standings odds, I think that's where I want to start. Um, you know, we've got Canada sitting at fourth at 15 to one odds. So, you know, plus 1500 for Canada to get the most medals. So, you know, this is definitely one of the, the Olympics, the winter Olympics that we are better at summer. We're not so good, but, uh, but winter, we're definitely, we're definitely up there. Um, Norway sitting at, at, uh, in the first slot. I don't really know his odds on this nine to 50. So that's minus something minus one. <laughs> Minus eight hundred, I'm sure it is. This guy didn't put it put it in, into the odds that I usually use, so it's actually like to the one. Yeah, we're, we're just using minus one hundred or plus. No, this is stuff. nine to fifty. So nine to fifty would be yeah. It's basically like minus six fifty. That's what it pretty much is. Or minus six hundred. Anyway, second is the Russian Olympic Committee (ROC) because they are not Team Russia because they're still under their sanctions. So they're at eight to one. Uh, Germany Again, ten they to still one. Shouldn't be considered a team for medal standings or anything. Like I every agree. athlete who's not a part of the doping scandal, you can compete as nothing. You can compete as an athlete and win a gold medal, but you don't get anything. Not Ru- Olympic athletes of Russia. That's still Russia. It is. Everyone knows it's still Russia. So yeah, it's still stupid to me. But I mean, that's a different story. It, it is stupid. It is dumb. Um, Germany's 10 to one in the uh, third best odds. Canada, as I said, 15 to one, 
uh usa 15 to 1 sweden 66 to 1 there's a whole bunch in the middle and then italy is last at 750 to 1 do we have to mike weir this and put a dollar on italy no what about finland at 750 to 1 no i have no rooting interest for these so to me no (laughs) mike weir i will still always cheer for if he wins the masters i would be super ecstatic if italy wins the olympic medal count i did I don't care. Yeah, but you get $750. So, I mean. Yeah, it's still not. No? Okay. Well, no. anyway. So, that's that's what the medal standing odds are. So, Cam, what, what events are you most kind of looking forward to this Olympics? Um, we don't we don't got any, like, you know, Damian Warner stories, really, in, in the Olympics. We don't quite have the same thing. That would actually be, by the I way. Got- sorry, before you answer, wouldn't that not be the fucking best thing ever if they had decathlon in the olympics so you had to do like you gotta gotta have the skeet shooting though what is it called where they ski and shoot at the same time isn't it biathlon biathlon? nordic uh yeah it's in the nordic stuff but yeah the one where they ski and shoot that's got to be a part of it yeah that's that's one of them but then like could you imagine you're like okay the next one is uh speed air speed skating (laughs) Uh, whatever. Yeah. Big air. The next one's going to be fucking skeleton. The next one's going to be luge. Like you imagine you do 10 events that are all these ones. Like you're telling me you wouldn't watch that. I a hundred percent would 100% I'd watch that. That would just be so much fun, like super dangerous, but <laughs> it'd be awesome. So two names I will give you if you're looking for Damian Warner kind of guys to cheer for who, I mean, these guys should be more household names could based on what's happened in the past, but maybe not your typical sport. It's not curling or hockey, which we always talk about. First one's Mikel or Michael Kingsbury. He's a uh, moguls skier. He's the best all time. He won gold medal at the last Olympics. He's looking to do it again. He basically has like every record there. Canada's now won the gold medal the last two Olympics. We had Alex Bilodeau the year before the Olympics before. Last time was Michael Kingsbury. He's looking to do it again. This guy's unbelievable. He's basically broken every mogul's record every ever. I think he has like 75 plus uh, medals and stuff or world championship podiums. It's unbelievable. He's a name to watch and someone to get excited about. The other one is Mark McMorris, slope style, big air. He does as well. He was the reigning world champion in big air, but he's not really his best event recently. He just won gold at X Games for slope style. So he's a big name to watch. Again, he's an amazing story. If you haven't seen the documentary on his injury in the Alps or the back road uh, snowboarding, it's unbelievable. He's another name that needs to be more of a household name. He probably is more than the summer athletes, but these are two guys who I'm going to keep an eye on. I'm going to watch their events because... Again, I love watching these different sports. I love some of the skiing, the snowboarding, uh, especially when you get into like the ski cross and snow cross. Like that's super exciting to me. But those are two names who should be more household names, uh, like your Andre DeGrasse or your Damian Warner, who maybe not the event you wanted to watch, like hockey, but uh, definitely worth watching these two athletes. Oh, no doubt about it. And and kind of staying along those lines, the DeFore LaPointe sisters uh, in Moguls as well for the women, like they, they're still all absolutely 100% on, on watch. Um, Justine DeFore LaPointe, you know, she's 23 now. Uh, you know, she won gold medal in Sochi. Um, so, I mean, hey, like she's she's definitely somebody to watch in, in that category. Um, I mean, any, any obviously any event that you're going to watch Canada-wise is going to be you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I can't remember the Summer Olympics. I was rooting for the whoever it was that was the trampoline gold medal. Like, that was, I, you know, I never thought I'd get in a trampoline, but uh, that's, uh, you know, that obviously. Canada has been dominant at trampoline, though. 
They have. I don't know. What, I don't know what the how the heck you get into that, but it's awesome. Um, now there's two. There's, go ahead. No, you're good. Sorry. Uh, there's two sports that obviously I really want to talk about, and that would be two sports that I play: curling and, and hockey. That's that's the two that I really, um, you know, want to focus on. And not to take away from skiing or bobsled or whatever the case is. Like as I said, I will watch whatever the heck. If there's a, if there's a Canadian flag on a helmet, there's a Canadian flag on a jacket. Doesn't matter. I'll watch it. Um, you mentioned two guys to watch for for sure. Um, men's and women's curling this year, man. It's um, it's nice to see familiar faces again, you know, like, and, and, and we usually have the same kind of guys go. Um, let's start with men's curling. So again, thanks to Jake. So we're men's curling. We got our top three in terms of odds. We have Canada at two to one. Uh, we have great Britain at two to one, which that's a little shocking to me, but I don't know. Uh, and then you have Sweden at 13 to four, which 13 to four is basically plus 300. Does Scotland compete for Great Britain at the Olympics? That's what I don't know. I would assume that must, they, that I would assume it. that they do. So I would assume that's the only way that they could be there because yes. they're technically number one in the world right now. Yes. Their team. Yes. I, I I would assume that that's what that would be. Um, again, I forget that Scotland's part of the UK. Like I'm like like it's so odd because yeah. they compete as Scotland in the World Cup, but then in international, you know what I mean? Like in Olympics, they're great. I don't know. It's kind of stupid, but. It is what it is. Um, by the way, that Scottish team is absolutely unbelievable, and they're super young. And and we're gonna talk. I think we got, we got an interview set up um, coming next week with uh, somebody who's playing right now at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. So we're gonna get um, a little bit of insight into some of the curling stuff. Uh, hopefully next week, because the Scotties wraps up this weekend, I believe. Uh, so hopefully next week we'll have that interview uh, on the podcast. So we're super excited about that. Uh, but man, yeah, this got it. This Scotland team, super young. We were talking about like, Hey, is, 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 is curling one of those sports that you can get better at? Like anybody can be a pro. Um, we're going to ask our interview guest, and we'll talk about that next week, but we'll ask her what she thinks about that. Um, but Hey, if I say to you, Brad Gushu, team Canada Olympics, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Well, 2006 is the first thought that comes to my mind. That's the first time I ever got into curling. Again, I'm a guy who watches the Olympics, and if there's a Canadian flag there or it's the uh, skeleton where you're going face first down the ice, I'm going to watch every second of it. Um, so that was kind of it. 2006, when Brad Gushu won gold medal, that's when I first got into curling, and I was super excited about it. My parents, when they went out east and uh, saw Gushu, Brad Gushu weigh and stuff, they had to send me pictures. He's been my favorite curler since 2006. He's the reason I got into sports. So that's the first thing I think of. So when I think Gushu, I'm just like, this is a guy who can get it done at the olympics he got it done last time last olympics i didn't feel confident who with our representation and winning a gold medal anytime brad gushu is on the national stage i feel pretty confident that he can get the job done oh no no doubt about it and i mean you are as i said you are competing with some of the best in the world you know nicholas dean that team has actually struggled recently just in terms of world rankings and and struggled but never somebody that you can count out of men's curling um these matchups are going to be unbelievable but there is a level of comfort for me i think um, you know, there's obviously lots of really good men's curling teams in, in Canada and, and many names. Um, but in, in terms of the Olympics, there's two names that I would be ext- the most comfortable with going into Olympics. And that would be uh, Brad Gushu and Kevin Cooey. Those are the two guys that I'm like, yep, if those guys are there, uh, I feel pretty good about our chances. Um, and then switching kind of to the women's, um, 
you know, we have we have Jennifer Jones. You know, Jennifer Jones is going to be representing. Jennifer Jones team going to be representing with Caitlin Laws uh, uh, as the women's curling team Canada team, and they are five to two, so they are plus two, whatever it is. What is it? Plus two fifty um, to take home gold, and that is followed by Sweden at eleven and four, and uh, which is plus whatever to one eighty five. Big news out of Sweden today, though. Anna Hasselborg did test positive going over, so it is unsure when she'll be available Uh-oh. to actually play. Uh oh. That was that was a report earlier today, so they're hopeful she's going to be able to compete. But with the Chinese laws, they're unsure if she's going to be able to compete at all. So that's kind of an interesting twist to that entire thing because sweden's definitely one of the favorites here and you're going to be missing your skip that's going to be tough that is going to be tough and scotland's uh third on that list at plus 300 um again like jennifer jones one of those people like she, she's been there a lot right like, th- like this is very synonymous you know when you talk about women's curling in canada uh you're talking jennifer jones you're talking rachel holman and you know less wise you're talking you know chelsea carrie or Iners, um carrie Einerson or you know those those kind of names so but you know, when it comes to when it comes to women's Olympic curling, man, there's two names: Jennifer Jones and Rachel Holman, and we got one of them there. Actually, we have two of them there. We do have both of them there. So let's talk about this for a second. So, uh, mixed doubles curling, we won gold uh, at Sochi, and that was Caitlin Laws and John Morris. And uh, you know, it would have been nice for them to defend, but kind of awkward. I do have. So the original team to qualify last Olympics was John Morris and Rachel Homan, but Homan made it as the women's representation. So Laws then stepped in in for Morris as the sub. So that is just a little caveat to that. And Homan did not do well, uh, by the way, in that uh, that Olympics. We 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 did not do well, but that's besides the point. You know, you can have off weeks, good weeks, bad weeks, whatever the case is. But you're seeing the reverse. Caitlin Laws makes the Olympics on the women's team. And Rachel Oman steps in with John Morris uh, on the mixed doubles team. Uh, to me, I think this is a great... I'm actually a little bit surprised uh, that she went, to be perfectly honest. And it's a great... You know, anytime you get to represent your country, it's absolutely great. Um, shout out to, to her husband and, and you know, whoever's watching her kids. Because, you know, for them to give Rachel this opportunity is, is absolutely unbelievable. Um, anytime an Olympian goes, I mean, most of these people that go are parents of them, you know, really young kids, but most of these athletes, um, you know, like Brett Lang is, is taking care of their kids at home. I'm sure when, while Jennifer Jones is going. So, you know, I shout out to the parents, man. Like there's so many families and people who have the sacrifice for these athletes to go. Um, and they, you know, when, when their spouses win gold medals, it's, it's, it's really a team effort, but, uh, but I think it's a great, a great opportunity for, uh, for Canada mixed doubles curling to go back to back here. I don't see a downgrade in um, going to Rachel Holman as opposed to Caitlin Laws. I think they can absolutely, you know, dominate this field. Um, John Morris as well has the experience having won before. And and I, I just think they're going to do fantastically. It, it's one of those sports that's so fringe and it's new in curling, but yet it's just, it's honestly one of the more exciting ones to watch. It's super yeah, fast paced. It was crazy to watch. I didn't watch it till the last Olympics. And I'm like, wow, I haven't, I seen this before. Like yeah. this is super interesting and intense. Like the strategy is so different and it almost seems so much more fast paced with just the two of them. Uh, yeah. And as we've kind of touched on the odds, so Gushu we touched on, cause this is going over all the odds minus minus one eighteen. Holman Morris plus two twenty, Jennifer Jones plus three hundred. Coolbat also has some interesting odds overall for the curling. Number of gold medals over under 0.5. Over 0.5 is actually minus one hundred five. 
under is minus 133. So basically they think we're getting one gold medal. If you want to go over one and a half gold medals, it's plus 650. If you think two out of these three can win gold. Number of medals, one and a half, over one and a half, minus 182. So they think we're winning a couple medals, which we should. Uh, under plus 130. But if you want to go over two and a half medals, if you think all three teams are going to win medals, plus 375. That's not a bad number. Thinking all three of these teams will at least medal. That's that's actually really attractive. I actually was attracted to the over one and a half golds, to be honest. I, I just, I mean, there's a lot of good teams. Let's just, let's, you know, it, it is what it is. But that three set was it 375 for just a medal? Two? two? No, all three of them have to medal for plus 375. I, that's, that's pretty realistic. Unless you have an absolute, like, meltdown. Well, we won't mention all three should. Medal. Yes. Yes. All three are going to be ranked. Should Anything can happen in a, any tournament, but they should all medal. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I, yeah, they, they, they should. Well, we'll see what happens with that, but something to keep your eye on. Um, no doubt about that. So uh, Canada, uh, their first uh, mixed double round ramen game is this Wednesday, 8.05 PM. And they play uh, Great Britain, AKA they play Scotland. Um Great Britain does not have a curling team. I'm just going to say that right now. There's no way England has a curling team. So it's going to be versus Scotland. Um, and uh, and then the next thing you're going to want to watch too is uh, women's prelims is 11.10 p.m. Wednesday, February 2nd. Uh, so this is just a, yeah, it's a preliminary round, Canada versus Switzerland. And I mean, we wouldn't be kind of the other sport we want to touch on is hockey overall. Do we want to start men's or women's there, Burke? Uh, I'm fine starting with the women's. I actually am more familiar with the women's team than I am the men's team, funny enough. Yeah, I mean, the women's team is basically who you expect to be there. Adding the taxi squad over there has helped that. So even the couple fringe players who you thought should should make it are going to be there. There's a couple kind of shocking things that happened with their roster. But you still got the all-time greats for Canada and the U.S., who, again, are easily the two favorites. It's going to come down to Canada-U.S. It always does. The preliminary tournament really, like, we should almost have just a separate tournament on bronze and then just have Canada-U.S. play, like, a best-of-seven for gold. More exciting. But we got Marie Foot playing there. We have, like, Coin Schofield for the U.S. It's all the big names you're used to. Everybody's going to be there. This is still true best-on-best best for the women's. And it should be exciting. It is every time. I remember the goals from Miri Philippe Poulain last time. I remember like the year they tied it. Like this rivalry, which is going to happen in the gold medal game again, is going to be super exciting. And that's a must watch. Like that's got to be on your top three to five things must watch is the gold medal game. Because unless something crazy happens, it's Canada US. And every time they play on ice in any hockey amount, it's a must watch. Oh. Then there's and you said it great. There's no doubt about it. By the way, what are the chances that you're going to bet uh, Marie Philippe Poulain to uh, a live bet for her to score in overtime? Because it's pretty much a given. Like it's it's automatic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah, she's so exciting and just seems to just get better in the big spotlight. She just steps up her game and late in the third or in overtime. So. Yeah, it, it'll be exciting to see a lot of these same players. I know everyone's going to know them and be excited about it. And the women's game's just grown so much. I remember even watching in 2002, the Olympics. It was kind of on the fringe where I'm like, is this really that good of hockey? Now these women, like watching Marie Poulain, like if she was playing against the NHLers with no body checking, I think she could get by quite well. Again, the, the men are bigger, stronger overall. Like she's not going into a corner with Shea Weber or Brent Burns. No. That's not going to happen. But pure skill-wise, like, these women are now so talented, and it's actually a really good product to watch. 
no doubt about it. And and shout out. I mean, everybody knows. And this is the nice thing about I think hockey in general, but especially women's hockey, right? Where you don't have, you know, they don't get wrapped up in the NHL and people forget. But you know, every community in a sense kind of has somebody that they latch onto. You know, it's a great thing for Woodstock slash Ingersoll, where I'm from. Uh, Alice Shelton makes the uh, makes the Olympic team, so she'll be going to Beijing. So local person around here. Um, super excited for her. Uh, her brother Jesse, um, obviously super excited about this as well. Their whole family, whole Shelton family. Congratulations to them. Um, you know, she'll be she'll do awesome out there. You'd love to see that. You know, local kids are getting that kind of experience. Similar when you know Damian Warner, London, Ontario guy. Lots of people knew him. Thames uh, Valley District School Board kind of uh, Thames Valley District School Board guy. Um, I actually just drove past uh, one of the high schools in Woodstock today, and they had a they had Damian Warner on a billboard, basically saying like, "Thames Valley District School Board, we create champions." And I was like, "Okay, I get you're riding that. I love it. It, it is what it is. It, it's you're not wrong." I I just thought it was so funny to see that. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, this team. In my opinion, and, and so far, I mean, they've played the U.S. extremely close, um, but they're eking out dubs, and I would expect that this is going to continue. Um, I don't know, like, the goal, I don't know if you can get odds for uh, U.S.-Canada gold medal games in women. Like, that's who it's going to be exact match, but I can't imagine that it's, uh, can't imagine that the odds are plus, I'll tell you that. No, it, it's pretty much, I mean, Finland has a slight, shot they got uh, one of the best players on defense for them and their goalie is always super solid so they got a slight chance you never know in a one game thing we've seen goalies win games so you never quite know but again that's the game to watch that's got to be it's in my probably top three things to watch in the olympics is canada u.s gold medal game in women's hockey it's it's that good every time no doubt about it now that game let's go back to our uh i just want to we just want to shout this out give me one sec i'm going to go back to my sheet Sorry, this sheet's just so good. I can't even. Uh, well, it's got to be one of the last events, right? Uh, men's. Yeah, it's usually near the, the end. Men's game is the. What day is that? February 9th. It's got to be the day before. Usually it's the day before. Uh, February. Ooh, where is it? Maybe it's the day after. Sorry, I'm just I'm just trying to look up when this final is because I know everybody want, is going to want to know. Is it the last event? Yeah, it's usually well, where the heck is it? If I remember, it's usually afterwards. It's like the day after the closing ceremonies. Occasionally, uh, it's not on the sheet. It's always weird. We're gonna have to tell you what it is because I actually don't like. This is a thirty-seven page document. Again, shout out J. Cal. This guy did so much work on this, but um, I'll have to actually look it up. I didn't do my homework on that very well, but it's it's out there. <laughs> it's it's somewhere. We'll try to post it so that you can look it up so yourself. So Wednesday, February sixteenth at eleven p.m. will be the gold medal game. Oh, there so it Wednesday, is. Wednesday, February sixteenth at eleven p.m. Yeah, you got it. That a boy. Way to look it up. Way to use the Google. So you might have to stay up a little later, but trust me, that game will be worth it. Again, like anytime Canada USA play hockey, it's must watch in any age group, any gender, anything. It's much, much watch sports if you're a hockey fan. I don't care if you know the players or not. It's Canada US. It's must watch. No doubt. All right, let's talk about the men's uh, real quick before we uh, before we kind of sign it off until next week. We got a lot on our plate. Um, this episode is going to go a little bit longer. We robbed you last week, so we're gonna we'll kind of reward you this week. Um, just so everybody knows, we're still going strong. We just you know shit happens, so deal with it. 
Um, men's Canadian hockey. We are expecting to, we do not have the best odds to win. No, I think we're fourth right now in odds, but the two, three, four are all, all pretty close right now. I believe I don't have the odds in front of me. Maybe you do. Uh, I, Maybe not. I, I don't, but I can go back up to, again, this lovely power. Well, Zach's, Zach's pulling up, pulling up the odds here. They were four. I just got a couple, couple quick things to touch on here. One, I'm hearing all these people, all the NHLers aren't going. I'm not watching. It's, the product's going to be terrible. Like, why would I even watch this? It's Canadian hockey. The product's not going to be as bad as you think. They got proven guys there. We have Owen Power, the number one overall pick from last year. You probably heard of him if you're into hockey. He should be playing in the NHL. But Future Montreal Canadian. No, he was last year's oh, first overall. Never pick. mind. Who's, who's your guy this year? Shane Wright. Oh, but he's not, he didn't make the Olympic team. Future so. Montreal Canadian Shane Wright. It's just a little dig because you're so shit. Canadians are shit. Anyway, Mason McTavish again is another world junior guy who looked phenomenal in the couple games they played there. We have Eric Stahl, who was a part of the Montreal Canadiens last year when they went on the Stanley Cup final run, if you remember that at all, as a Leafs fan. Uh, He'll be there. He has a gold medal to his name, so that'll be exciting. And then there's other guys who you've never heard of. You have Eddie Pascal and Nett, who's arguably the best KHL goalie right now. So he's arguably the best goalie not in the NHL. You have Corbin Knight, who's a top five point getter in the KHL. Again, a name you don't know, not super exciting. But you got to remember... When there's no NHLers, you're going to get some way better stories. I don't know if you saw the clip of Ray Ferraro and Cami Granato, uh, Landon Ferraro's parents, talking about this moment when they heard yeah. Landon was getting named. And just watching him tear up and see how proud, proud and happy he is. Like, Landon was an okay AHLer. He made the NHL a little bit off and on. But to see how excited Ray and Cami were, who were great NHL or great hockey players, personalities. Ray Ferraro played a thousand, over a thousand games in the NHL. And Cameron Garotta was a good player in her own right in women's hockey. Uh, and now they're both executives. Or She's an executive for the Seattle, and he's now worked for TSN for a bunch of years. To see how excited they were to see their son being named to the Olympic team, saying it's basically the proudest moment of their life. Like These are the stories that, yeah, it sucks NHLers aren't going to be there, and the hockey's not going to be quite as good. But these are the stories that you're like, these are awesome. We see guys like Josh Hosang, who have really stepped up this year in kind of his last chance ever with an AHL contract with the Marlies, and he's been phenomenal, he's getting to go over there and get another chance to show what he has. You're getting guys who couldn't quite make it. We got Daniel Winnick over there, Jordan Wheel. These guys were really good AHLers, had the kind of shots in the NHL. Uh, we have David Darnay, who was great for the Habs for a few years. Like, there's gonna be, If Canada wins a medal, and especially if they can compete somehow with Russia for gold or the Olympic athletes of Russia or whatever the heck they're calling the them. Russian like, Olympic Committee. Russia. Russia. If they can compete with Russia for a gold medal game, and if they win gold, like some of these stories actually might be better than if the NHLers were over there and Canada wins gold. The last Olympics that Canada was there, it was not good hockey. It was amazing that Canada won gold, but it was the most boring hockey I've ever watched with that Carey Price, Mac, Mike Babcock just shutting it down, boring, like shut Two one games, three goal. one games. Yeah, like shutouts all over the place. Like, it wasn't good hockey. The stories and the hockey we're going to get out of this are going to be good. These players are super talented still. Like, Owen Power will be a top 20 D in the next five years in the NHL. Mason McTavish looks like he's going to be a heck of a player for sure. So we got some great stories here. 
and I'm still super excited. And as I said, like there's some people who are like, oh, even if in their gold medal game at 11 o'clock on, I can't remember the date. Um, I'm not even going to bother watching it. Really? Like if you're a Canadian hockey fan and you're not watching Canada in the gold medal game, don't call yourself a hockey fan anymore. I'm sorry. Just don't. Ooh, spicy from the turf King. He's calling you out. You got to support the boys. I mean, Hey, we've said, I said from the start, if there's team, if there's a Canadian logo on the helmet, I'm watching, uh, the men's final is this, uh, 18th men's hockey is 11 o'clock start as well. Uh, well, I actually, uh, no, sorry. It's the 19th. I lied. No, it's not. It's oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. It's 11, 10 is the men's gold medal game. There you go. So there, but I, I, yeah. I just want, I, I do have the odds, by the way, I have the live odds courtesy of DraftKings, Cause that's the site that I'm on. And that's who gave it to me the quickest as of today. Russian Olympic Committee's plus 160. Finland is plus 400. Sweden is plus 500. Canada's plus 700. The USA is in spot number six at plus 1600. I don't know who they the have USA on their team, a, but. The USA basically took their entire world junior team and went. Like pretty much all their players play NCAA. A couple guys in the States or in Europe, but it's really super young. So they're going to be pretty hit or miss here. To me, it's still like Canada, Sweden, Finland should all be pretty close. Like Canada should be competing for a medal no matter what. Again, it's probably not going to be gold. This Russia team or Olympic athletes from Russia or Russia Olympic Committee, they have some of their best players who would be on their team if the NHLers went. It's just a fact. Some of the best players from Russia play in the KHL, not the NHL. Canada doesn't have that luxury. Sweden, Finland don't really. Finland has a couple guys who could be playing, but... It's a different story here, but again, Canada should be competing for the medal. Two, three, four could pretty much go anyway, so there's a chance they could be in the gold medal game. So again, it's going to be exciting. You're going to see some great stories, and we've already seen some with Ray Ferraro and Landon Ferraro. So again, it's Canadian hockey. It doesn't really matter. Like I'll watch the under-16s if it's on TV. It's still Canadian hockey. It's going to be at the Olympics. There's still a ton of talent there. I'm excited. Does anybody remember the World Championship? Was it last year? Like That was some exciting hockey. Like, uh, yeah, it's never our best players who no. go to the world championships, yet Europe has a lot of theirs go, but it's still fun. And again, it's actually a lot of the same guys you'll see here. It's it, a bunch of those guys who are here. It's, you know what, I'll tell you what, it, it is more, uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's more entertaining, but it, it just easier is to watch teams when you under, when you know who they are, right? Because you can say, you know, you can break it down and say, oh, you know, now it would be great to see uh, Connor McDavid on a line with, Oh God, I don't even know Mitch Marner or whoever, like you have Nathan McKinnon playing up there as well with God, you know, Matthews on team. You like, you know what I mean? Like it, it would be, it would be really oh, fun to watch. We might never, we might never see McDavid and Crosby play together at best on best. Now we, we won't, we won't. These things suck, but it doesn't mean that this isn't going to be still exciting and there's not going to be great stories is my only point. No. And it's, it's a hundred percent a fair point. It, it, it just, it doesn't like, I, I do feel like basically like 2010 has in a sense ruined Olympic hockey for people because everybody remembers where they were in 2010 when the Canadian men's Olympic team beat the USA in the gold medal game in Vancouver. Everybody knows. Since then, but does anybody really remember 2014? No. 2014 was best on best. No, nobody remembers. But does anybody really remember that? 
it was horrible. Like it was great to have the best, but Canada dominated the tournament with this defensive style. Carey Price just making easy saves after easy saves. Like nobody really remembers that tournament. So I actually again like the only reason I, I remember it. Sorry, I think Ken. this tournament. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the only reason I remember it is because I was with my ex girlfriend at the time and uh, I fell asleep on the couch. That's that's before I met my wife. That 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 winter um i met her in the spring after that but i was like it was the most boring game ever that i fell asleep during that during that game it was terrible i think there's a really good chance that this olympics for team canada men's hockey is more memorable than 2014 when we won gold very easily yeah i like that now 2018 i don't do you remember 2018 because i don't either now that's that to be fair there's no i remember watching germany there's no olympic players that so there's no nhl players in 2018 either so I don't remember that team, to be fair. I remember Germany going on a crazy run, but yeah, I don't really remember the Canadians. So I, I will say is like, you know, like, yeah, I don't really remember 2014 as well either because 2010 was just so unbelievable. But I also, to the other side of the point, I don't really remember 2018 either. Uh, but I don't know. Years fly by when you're in your, your mid-20s. So that's all, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Now we're going to keep doing this kind of stuff, right? I mean, Olympics are going on until February the 19th. So we are going to have lots of stuff kind of going on. Um, and, and we'll update you as you go. We're going to have tons of storylines on uh, next week's going to be an absolute massive podcast. We may split it up in two episodes. Don't really know. We'll depend on how the schedule works. Uh, may just do it in one long one, may do it in two separates, but we're definitely going to do the preview. Uh, we're going to have some special guests. We're going to have some interviews next week. Uh, always one of my favorite weeks of the year. By the way, Cam, I would just like to say that the first episode we are at our one year anniversary of the first episode of the over six sports podcast. So we are officially, uh, have been around for one year. Congratulations. How do you feel one year in? It's fun. And it's fun getting back to kind of these podcasts. This is the real, like, sure. We enjoy gambling a lot. We're, we're both kind of degenerates when it comes Obviously. that way. But this is the real, these kind of podcasts are the real reason why we started the podcast. Literally just talking about every sport, talking about Canadian athletes and just chatting. Because everywhere we went, everyone's always wants to know our takes on every single sport because we watch way too many sports, as I'm sure your wife would say. I would say so. <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of back to the roots of what this podcast was. I think we'll get a lot more of this in the off season in the NFL. We'll still get into betting because we like betting on everything. But, uh, yeah, this is this is fun. It's been a fun year and uh, looking forward to it again for at least another year uh i am as well and again as, as i always do and i and i did kind of go into the new year just you know thank you to our fans thank you to our fan from russia who's listened to like 15 episodes in the last like 10 days that's been hilarious for us to watch and shout out hope it's uh, warm up there for you right now uh but uh but yeah so you're, you can definitely look forward to some more content next week's episode as i said it's going to be unbelievable uh, as always you can follow us on twitter at over six sports uh, at zachbrook over six and at c charles and turf and for the Over Six Sports Podcast, I am Zach the Burke, and with me, the man you know and love, the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. Thanks for listening to Over Six Sports, and we will chat with you next week.